Hello, this is Carrie Bowles, and welcome to this week's episode of the Table Talk podcast. For anyone who was an English major in college, the name Marcel Proust will, at the very least, ring a bell. Proust is one of those authors who is continually vaunted without being widely read. The main reason in the 20th century Frenchman's case is his daunting reputation for epically long sentences and lavishing vast attention to what, at a casual glance at least, appears to be dull and trivial experiences. Really, this is too bad, because Marcel Proust is the modernist key to depicting how memory works in literature. There's a great scene in the movie Little Miss Sunshine, where Steve Carell's character, who continually vaunts himself as the best Proust scholar in North America, gives what might be the most precise summation of the author. He says, I mean, take Marcel Proust. Total loser. Hypochondriac. Gay. Nobody he loved ever loved him back. Never had a real job. Devoted most of his life to writing a book hardly anybody reads. But he was also probably the greatest writer since Shakespeare. And yet, though it's a book few have read in its entirety, In Search of Lost Time features a scene that many will recognize, if only from its substantial impact on a great deal of fiction and art that came after. It seemed a fitting starting point for the Table Talk podcast series on food and fiction to highlight the morsel used in Proustus open the gateway of memory for his story's narrator. This food episode comes early on in Swan's Way, the first volume of In Search of Lost Time. Here it is in Lydia Davis's Penguin Translation. For many years, already, everything about Cambrai that was not the theater and the drama of my bedtime had ceased to exist for me, when one day in winter, as I returned home, my mother, seeing that I was cold, suggested that, contrary to my habit, I have a little tea. I refused at first, and then, I do not know why, changed my mind. She sent for one of those squat, plump cakes called petite madeleines that look as though they have been molded in the grooved valve of a scallop shell. And soon, mechanically, oppressed by the gloomy day and the prospect of another sad day to follow, I carried to my lips a spoonful of the tea in which I let soften a bit of madeleine. But at the very instant when the mouthful of tea mixed with cake crumbs touched my palate, I quivered, attentive to the extraordinary thing that was happening inside me. A delicious pleasure had invaded me, isolated me, without my having any notion as to its cause. It had immediately rendered the vicissitudes of life unimportant to me, its disasters innocuous, its brevity illusory, acting in the same way that love acts by filling me with a precious essence. Or rather, this essence was not merely inside me, it was me. I had ceased to feel mediocre, contingent, mortal. Where could it have come from, this powerful joy? I sensed that it was connected to the taste of the tea and the cake, but that it went infinitely beyond it, could not be of the same nature. Where did it come from? What did it mean? How could I grasp it? And suddenly, the memory appeared. That taste was the taste of the little piece of madeleine which, on Sunday mornings at Cambrai, because that day I did not go out before it was time for Mass, when I went to say good morning to her in her bedroom, my Aunt Leonie would give me after her dipping it in her infusion of tea or lime blossom. 
The sight of the little Madeleine had not reminded me of anything before I tasted it, perhaps because I had often seen them since without eating them on the shelves of the pastry shops, and their image had therefore left those days of Cambrai and attached itself to others more recent. Perhaps because of these recollections abandoned so long outside my memory, nothing survived, everything had come apart. The forms, and the form, too, of the little shell made of cake, so fatly sensual within its severe plating, had been destroyed, or, still half asleep, had lost the force of expansion that would have allowed them to rejoin my consciousness. But when nothing subsists of an old past, after the death of people, after the destruction of things, alone, frailer, but more enduring, more immaterial, more persistent, more faithful, smell and taste still remain for a long time, like souls remembering, waiting, hoping upon the ruins of all the rest, bearing without giving way on their almost impalpable droplet the immense edifice of memory. The association of the taste of the little cake with memories of a time and experience now long past may seem somewhat obvious now, but it hadn't really been done before Proust. Even if you read nothing else from In Search of Lost Time, the Madeleine episode serves as a delicious microcosm for the whole Proustian project. When the most mundane or routine experiences are given the proper attention, we see that they are invested with a universal cosmic power. The Madeleine's influence crops up in several places in popular culture, expected and unexpected. That other modernist pillar, James Joyce's Ulysses, features a scene midway through the novel where the hero, Leopold Bloom, as he's eating a gorgonzola cheese sandwich with a glass of burgundy, suddenly remembers the moment years ago on a hillside when he kissed his wife, Molly, and they swapped a bite of seed cake. Joyce is much more immediate and fleshy than Proust, but the influence is undeniable. It can't be a mere coincidence, either, that the name of the mysterious woman in Alfred Hitchcock's 1959 film Vertigo is named Madeline. One of the key elements of the film, or at least the first half of it, is that Madeline seems to be overpowered by memories of the past, in her case, the distant past. And when she is gone, she in turn haunts the past for Jimmy Stewart's police detective. He may not have eaten this Madeline, but all his memories of lost love are wrapped up with her nevertheless. And this podcast would not be complete without mentioning the pivotal scene in the Pixar animated movie Ratatouille, when feared food critic Anton Ego finally dines at the restaurant. Ego, voiced with a stentorian sense of doom by Peter O'Toole, takes a bite of the dish prepared by the intrepid rat hero. The taste of the dish, ratatouille, flashes the imposing Anton Ego back to an image of himself as a sweet young child in a sunny room tasting his mother's version. The heretofore stone-faced food critic ever so slowly begins to smile. The past, seemingly lost, has returned via the taste of a simple food. Who knew the shadow of a little cake shaped like a seashell could stretch so far? There are many petite Madeleine recipes to be had for those interested in trying out these famous little cakes. The one I'm going to share today comes from a little cookbook called Tea Time, 30 Irresistible and Delicious Afternoon Treats by Claire Gordon Smith with photography by Philip Webb. This, very, this is very simple, straightforward as a recipe, unlikely to intimidate novice bakers. 
It must be pointed out that it is necessary to procure a couple of madeleine pans to create the distinctive seashell appearance. The ingredients are three eggs, one-third a cup of sugar, grated zest of one lemon, half a cup of self-rising flour sifted twice, five and a half tablespoons of unsalted butter melted and cooled, confectioner's sugar for dusting, and 18 to 20 madeleine molds brushed with melted butter and dusted with sugar. Preheat the oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit. Put the eggs, sugar, and lemon zest in a large bowl. Using an electric hand mixer, whisk until pale, thick, and creamy. The mixture should leave a ribbon-like trail on the surface when lifted. Using a large metal spoon, fold in the flour. Drizzle the melted butter over the surface, then fold it in carefully. The mixture will lose some volume. Spoon the mixture into the prepared madeleine molds, filling each to about two-thirds full. Bake for about 10 to 12 minutes until lightly golden and just firm. Let cool for one minute, then turn out onto a wire rack to cool completely. Lightly dust with confectioner's sugar and serve. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Table Talk podcast. And please keep your eye out for the open admissions period for the second volume of the Ten Lunchboxes Literary Magazine, the Ten Lunchbox Review. This is Carrie Bowles, and have a delicious day.